This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another interview. We've got a special guest today. He's only 25 years old, but he's already built several successful businesses. He's, a, he's an IT tech, marketing savant. He's a mobile home park owner. Got a great story. Got a big team he's building in a number of different industries and asset classes. Please welcome... Gonzalo Castro. Gonzalo, are you there with us? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing great today. I mean, it's a pleasure to be here. Wasn't expected to be here at all. You know, it's, uh, I, I'm pretty new to the industry in general, I say. Uh, I mean, a lot of the people that I talk to are, you know, three times my age, maybe twice my age, usually <laughs> on average. Um, a, lot of, a lot of different backgrounds, right? Um, I think one interesting thing about me is that I, I'm Latino. I haven't really met anyone else that is Latino in this industry that's, you know, hmm. acquiring communities or maybe I haven't been there out there that much, yeah. right? Um, and then the second thing is that, you know, every time I have these conversations with different owners, I think uh, some of them will talk, hey, what are your hobbies, right? And the first thing I say is like, well, I like motorcycles and I like video games. And then, then these guys will go, oh, I like golf. <laughs> <laughs> I like golf and shooting trap and, and drinking scotch at the pool hall, yeah. Uh, yeah, in my head, I'm like, wow, then you can see, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit out of my element, you know, but I think it's, uh, it's very enjoyable nonetheless. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's probably a little harder to build uh, build rapport that way, but you've been able to do it, obviously, and you're very personable, so uh, that's great. Well, tell, tell us a little about your, I know a little bit about your background, but for our audience, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and your successes you've had there, and then we'll, we'll get into MHP as well. Right. So, I mean, I grew up in, in South America, right? So I'm not, not necessarily from, you know, from America itself, right? Uh, my parents were very, very poor, uh, and my dad was actually into construction, and he was also into real estate as well. So the story goes that my dad, uh, my mom, you know, had, had some issues, right? But eventually my dad was always trying to build different types of businesses. So from a young, early age, I understood the concept of, hmm, you can make money making businesses, selling things, owning things, right? Uh, when I was like five. And then uh, as I got older, I realized, well, I would love to do that kind of thing, but I'm poor. You know, I, I, I have no, no ability to get into the game. Uh, when I was about 15 or 16, I started, you know, having a little bit more freedom because it's at the time you can get a job, you can start traveling, you can do more things. You're not a little kid anymore, even though I was a little kid for all purposes of matters. Um, I ended up, you know, starting this advertisement company, getting into the, the tech side of things, right? I ended up, you know, hustling. Uh, you know, I was sending emails to people every day. I was talking to people. And the first thing I did is that I said, well, it's a liability that I can only speak Spanish. So I should learn English because if I am able, to, am able to speak a different language, then I can, you know, open my, you know, the, my world. And I did that. So I picked up a dictionary, took some classes uh, and pretty much self-taught myself English. Um, Not then, until you were 15 or 16. Uh, well, I, I started self-teaching myself when I was like, I don't know, maybe like uh, six or seven, right? Okay. Uh, with the help of my mother. So, I mean, it took like a period of like 10 years to, to learn it properly, right? Uh, they, they didn't take a couple classes in high school to learn it, right? Um, yeah, uh, and then when I got like a, like a handle of, you know, what I wanted to do in life, uh, I decided, well, it will be best for me to move to America. Uh, so, I think the highlight of my career was that my business was doing so well that I managed to fund uh, my own permanent resident in the United States with my business. 
Uh, so that, that's like the highlight of my, of my career so far, because in a way, the, the U.S. government said, we like what you do. You bring value to our economy. We want you to live here. Um, and, you know, after, after I came here, I said, well, uh, you know, give it a couple of years and all that and uh, got used to the system, right? Because the first thing uh, that freaked me out about the America was that, you know, you know, every state is essentially like your own little country, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, what works in Florida doesn't work in, in Georgia, what doesn't work in New York, right? Um, and then after, you know, setting myself here, I said, what's the next step? Um, and I said, well, I would love to get into real estate. So, you know, I started doing the, you know, the single families, doing multifamilies, whatever. And I realized, man, it's really hard to scale with these things. It's, uh, you know, if, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm able to do a deal, wait six months, wait a year. It just takes a long time. Uh, you know, the, the, the system doesn't work for the investor, works for residential people rather. I said, so I need economies of scale, right? So I said, let's look into apartments. And then I said, man, apartments, I feel like I'm three decades late, uh, two decades late. What's another asset that I can look at? And I was looking at assisted living and I was looking at, uh, you know, trailer parks at the time as I knew them. Right. <laughs> and then, the right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I learned, I learned eventually that trailer parks was not something that you're supposed yeah. to say, but Kristen edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> but every time I talk to someone that's not within the, the industry, right. I say trailer park cause they, they get it immediately what I'm talking about. Right. Unfortunately. Sure. Right. Um, I discounted assisted living because I said it requires, it, it has too much scrutiny. It requires too much management. You're, you're building a job rather than you're building passive income, rather. It's just what I heard from most operators. And then I said, oh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's more like a hospitality where it's like, it's not just a real estate play. You're, you're in the service business. Yes. You're, you're in, you're in service and there's real estate component. And I think I agree. I think it's, it's just a little more difficult to get up to speed and you're going to have more personnel and skilled personnel mm -hmm. and all this. So I, I'm biased, but I think you made the prudent decision to uh, transition <laughs> into MHP instead. Yeah, I mean, that was the micro decision that I made. So I started looking into, into uh, mobile home parks. And the um, first thing I, you know, I stumbled upon was that there's you know, a bunch of people offering different courses and offering different things. And I said, well, uh, before I take any on course, I should you know, study the business myself. So uh, because I live in Florida, there's a million mobile home parks around me. I mean, there's uh, two of them a block away from my house. Uh, you go drive five minutes away, there's like 20 of them. They keep popping out of the corners of the streets. It's very interesting. I feel like once you notice a mobile home park in existence, you start noticing all of them around you. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, and it's really strange because I'll be driving with my girlfriend. I'll tell her, oh, my God, that's a mobile home park. And she gets sick of it. She's like, oh, my God, good, goodness gracious, please. I don't care about the mobile home parks. I tell her, oh, there's another one right there. <laughs> um, it's funny how that works. I, was just, I just hired a couple new guys, and, that's, and I told them that's going to happen. So you're going to notice. I mean, my, growing up. I grew up in Quincy, Illinois, and there, I was like, I was probably three or four mobile home parks in the town, and the town's like 45,000 people, and, and then once I started looking at the space here, 2000, 2011, 2012, it was like, oh my gosh, there's like 10, there's like 12, and they're, they're, they're hidden pockets, like places, I, and I've been here for 18 years, you know, never noticed them, and, and it's like that all the time now, now and especially cool, it's, what's cool, I think, is when you're on Google Maps or Google Earth. It, the, the layout is pretty obvious. You're scanning, okay, this park is in, you know, I don't know, Smithville, Missouri. Okay, well then, there it is, boom, you just, you just if you see it and you can grab to it, gravitate towards it, it's like, it's, it's so much easier to recognize them once it's, it's on your brain, but I totally get it, that's cool though. 
Yeah, and uh, as soon as I started noticing more of these uh, parks around, um, I said, man, I should really just get into this business. Maybe I can buy something here in Florida. Little did I know back then. <laughs> uh, and as I started getting into it more, I started doing research, and it, I fell in love with the business because I found it to be interesting, right? I'm the kind of guy that I like to make money, but I like to have fun as well. I like to do something that keeps me entertained, keeps me... Uh, in a way, the way I like to put it is that you constantly solve a puzzle, and the puzzle keeps changing constantly, and that keeps you entertained because... For me, you know, once you solve a puzzle or you solve a business, right, in a way, it, it, I guess it gets boring, right? And for me, you know, uh, you know, I don't need a billion dollars to succeed in life, right? You know, you, you have a much lower threshold so, um, to kind of get by in a way. So for me, it was always like I want to do something that gives me financial freedom, but at the same time, I want to have fun, uh, you know, building up to it or doing the grind, right? Um, and then I realized, man, this industry is really could be it because, you know, you have, um, you have all these crazy things that don't happen in traditional real estate. Like for example, if you're buying single family house, you don't have to deal with a mom and pop owner, you know, that don't have tax returns in their, right. in their park, you know, and you're buying it and you know, it's got some, some illegal things going on and there's some straight cats going on and there's, there's just more fun uh, around it. You, every deal is like a puzzle. And I enjoy that very much. Whereas if you're buying like a single family, I always found it to be okay, well, you come in, does it got mold? Does it got this? No. Yeah. All right. Done. <laughs> you know, it's definitely, I, I agree completely. It's, it definitely can be more complex. That's why I think it's really good to have systems and good teams and good employees, but, um, that to help, but yeah, it's, it's, it is like a puzzle. I, I, you know, on the legal side, there's some stuff that I, I call the blocking and tackling. I've got some other attorneys on my team. They're like, Hey, this, we got to do, we got to read this contract or, Hey, we got to, we got to do the, read the title work, make title objections. That's kind of blocking and tackling a lot of the operational issues, and, and navigating those, I think, are, are the most complex and the most fun for me. And I think of running a mobile home park is like running your own city. So that's why it's so much, yeah. different, so much different than, you know, duplexes or something like that. And I've had single family. I've had duplexes. I've got apartments. But MHP, I've been able to be more successful financially. But also, it's, it's, it is more intellectually stimulating because, you're, you know, you're doing things like you're, po you're the police. I have, you know, I have a 15-page rules and regs that are an, an addendum to my lease. That's, that's way more rules than the city has pertaining to MHP. And then you've got things like water, sewer, provider, billback. You're providing, you're providing taking care of trash. You're, you're watching up the community. We've got rules on dogs. We've got community amenities like dog parks and playgrounds. I mean, we paint houses and put other people's houses to create the, you know, a better ambiance neighborhood. And obviously, in some MHP, you've got gated communities and all that. I don't have any of those, but where you really are running a you know, very tight ship. But... Uh, no, I'm with yeah. you, man. It's, 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 it, can be, it can be stressful at times, but it's, it's definitely uh, more, more fun, I guess, than, than, you know, I have a lot more fun practicing MHP law, you know, for, my, for myself, for my clients, than I did practicing real estate law on projects in the hundreds of millions of dollars. It was just like, I was, it felt like I was only working on a narrow scope. Like, hey, get the tax incentive, boom, or get the, you know, get the contract, excuse, boom. It's like, now it's like, there's so much more ability to be a member of a team, kind of a consultant, um, and, and that's and it's fun. So I, I'm totally with you, man. And that's why I think being engaged with your work is important because it's hard to succeed if you're not engaged in what you're doing. You know, it's very hard to convince someone that hates their job to succeed, to to go beyond their limits. Right. And for me, I've, I've always been about that. I've always been about breaking out of comfort zone, doing things that I may not be comfortable with. I mean, literally what I did is that I moved from a third world country and then I moved to Pennsylvania. Right. Uh, here in the U.S. Then I said, mm, I don't like Pennsylvania. It's a little, mm, I don't know, Pennsylvania is a little, not to discount it, right? But, you know, man, the snow is a little hard because back where I live, there's no snow. So Correct. I could not understand that, you know, from, uh, I don't know, September, August, November, after that for like six month season, you know, the, you're just buried in snow. 
So I said, let's go to California. And I went to California. I went to live there. Uh, and I said, man, here is great. But my goodness gracious, the taxes are ridiculous. Never mind. Hmm, what's, a, what's a somewhere in the middle that we can go? And I went quite in the middle. I moved to Indiana. And I said, hmm, okay, this is kind of, you know, we're a little bit in the middle. We're not too much in the snow. We're not too much, you know, California. Uh, but man, it's a little boring here. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, how about we go somewhere else? So I said, Florida. Florida, you got, you got the heat. There's no snow. You have, you know, a little bit more friendly tax rules. And then, you know, it's, there's more fun things to do. Um, and I ended up really enjoying Florida. So I've been here for you know, the past couple of years. And, you know, it's the same example. You know, as you said, being engaged with what you do is also being engaged with where you live. Uh, I felt like once I took the move to Florida, I was able to power all my different businesses because I was in a better mental state. Uh, and I was able to put more work into what I was doing. Um, and it allowed me to focus into more important things. So, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that aspect. And I also really enjoy the fact that it's an ever evolving puzzle and you can tackle in so many different ways. I mean, you have, for example, lifestyle mobile home parks, for example, the ones that, you know, Zamzel and all these other big guys own, which are, you know, the, uh, not necessarily family owned properties, uh, or family, uh, pro uh, mandated properties, but more so properties that focus on giving people a different slice of life, almost retirement communities, if you will. Right. Uh, but, but I'm more into the communities of like, you know, uh, blue collar communities where people, you know, work and um, I can provide a safe environment for that. And I think it's very meaningful work as well. I mean, uh, I think it, it makes you feel like you're contributing something, right? Because uh, my traditional business, you know, doesn't really help anyone, right? Like it doesn't provide anything to the world per se, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I just advertise products. I just, you know, I do the dirty essentially things that you wouldn't even notice uh, while you're just going on Google, right? That's kind of just my, my bread and butter. But uh, when you change the lifestyle of people uh, and you improve their living conditions and then that, you know, I guess, you know, helps you sleep a little better at night. It's a little plus, you know? No, certainly, man. I mean, you're providing affordable housing, and I've, I've told this story before, but we have people who, when they walk into one of our homes and they see it, and they're like, they start crying. They're like, I can, you mean I can afford this? I can, this is how much? I can, I can approve for this? Like, yeah. They're like, if you, you know, I take it for granted sometimes, you know, like that, you know, and, and you, you wouldn't as much, obviously, because you came from a third world country, just, you know, you know how blessed you are and all the success that you've had. Some people that, that that your success is they they believe is out of reach. Your your but it's not. And you give them the slice of the little slice of the American dream they can own a home. Yeah, it's, you know, I like the 1680, 12, you know, twelve hundred sixteen square feet, brand new. I can get somebody all in there for eight hundred fifty bucks a month. They're like, I'm paying a thousand at a crappy apartment. I'm like, how'd you like to own this thing? And 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 I've had I've had women come cry and give me hugs and I've had you know all that kind of stuff. And you can see it's real so it's, it definitely is uh, obviously there's a there's a financial component for me right so i, I kind of say you know a couple of our company goals and priorities are you know, provide you know, you know reasonable high quality affordable housing but then provide reasonable high quality investment returns for investors um, yeah. in that order you know so we, we provide the housing and we provide a high quality return um that's you know risk adjusted and work adjusted and all that but um and then same thing, we probably provide employment for our teams. I don't know. And I've had, I've had as many as 75 employees at a time. I have less than that now. Um, but no, and I'm probably not counting all the vendors and subs and stuff like that. But I know you've got a number of businesses and, and you know, different, different employees and vendors and contracts. What, what, what can you share with us as far as, you know, management tips and kind of finding and identifying key talent to help your businesses? Cause you, you, you wear a lot of hats. I know you can't do that alone. Yeah. So what, what, what kind of advice can you give us on the, the you know, recruitment management side? 
I think the first thing that you have to know when recruiting is that you have to know what you need and what you may need. Okay. You need to be ahead of the recruiting uh, curve, you know, because there's a point in time where your business does well. So you start here on, on this side of the spectrum, uh, imagine all the way on the far right. Um, and then as you get better, as you improve your business, you make more money as it grows, as it becomes, you know, has more responsibilities, you start to realize, wait, wait a minute, I should have an assistant. Wait a minute. Maybe I should have someone do my books. Maybe I'm wasting too much time on Excel. You know, and then as you realize these things, you start hiring more people. Then eventually there comes a point in time as you get used to this curve, you realize, wait a minute, I'm in the moment of going through another curve. I should hire someone to help me with this next stage in, in, in the business, right? Uh, and I think the most important part, number one, is to realize what part of the curve you are. Don't hire too early, but don't hire too late. There's a sweet spot here where you want to be. And then the second point is I think the, the screening process is by far the most important thing. Um, you need to understand what things matter. For example, to me, it matters less, for example, the, the credit score of my employees, right? But it, to me, it matters a lot more what their uh, circle thinks about them, right? These, these uh, things that you cannot necessarily quantify. But for example, what does the previous employer think about them? What does, for example, their professors at college think about them? What do, what do they think about their work uh, ethic? Because if you ask everyone or, or anyone rather, how much work ethic do you have? Oh, you know, I work, you know, all day. I, I'm the best employee ever, right? They always right. tell you. That. But then when you ask the, the professor, oh, yeah, Mr. Mr. Smith, ah, uh, yeah, he sleeps every class and barely does his assignments. And, you know, he, he gets by with C's. Well, you don't want that employer, probably, right? You know, maybe maybe for a manager. So you're, so you're actually calling, not yeah. just employment, right? You're calling, you're, so you're asking people to apply. I need references, including all your professors, and you call those professors and you yes. grill them. Yes. Uh, and I like to have a, I have, I like to have reference. So for example, if, uh, this may sound ridiculous, right? But if they don't have professors, if they don't have like, you know, different type of employees, cause I am, I, I employ all type of different people, right? People that have a lot of experience and people that don't have experience, but they have the hustle. Right. So I'll ask, for example, okay, give me a recommendation later from some of your friends. And I want to see what they have to say about it. You know, just tell them to write a page about you. Mm. And that, that creates hilarious, uh, you know, things. Sometimes people say insane things about each other. Right. But then sometimes you'll hear things like, Hey, you know what, Mr. Smith, you know, you know, he's not the most dedicated in the school, you know, but actually, you know, here's one example from them where they went out of their way to help me in something, or maybe I needed help from them about a specific topic and they went out of their way to learn about it and then help me with it. And that's a quality that I say, mm, that's the kind of guy that I want in my company because that guy went out of his way to learn something and bring value to an existing relationship. And that, you know, you can bring it back to a business uh, aspect, right? So, I mean, all these things that, you know, when I hear people hiring people, I'm like on the complete opposite spectrum, you know, because uh, a lot of people want, you know, the college degree, um, you know, perfect, uh, you know, perfect, you know, family situation, you know, kind of like a, like a little bubble of a, of, a, of a spectrum that they want, right? And for me, you know, I'm on the opposite, but the best employee I've ever had, right, was a guy that was in college. He did not have a degree. He had zero years experience uh, doing what I hired him doing, but he was the best employee I've ever had. He was so good that he went from the lowest side of, 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 of employment that I offer all the way to the, to the big manager. He manages everybody. Like essentially my, 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 my second, my right hand at some point in time running the whole thing. And how did that happen? Because the guy I hired him within three months, I realized, wait a minute, this guy within three months is managing everyone around him. He knows he learned everything. He's paying attention. He's asking questions. I need to pay this guy more money. because He's going to leave. I pay him more money moving to manager, suddenly production goes up. Then I said, wait a minute, I'm wasting him as a manager. He needs to be managing the managers. And then, you know, the cycle goes up and up. And within three years, you know, the guy went from making, you know, $10, $10 an hour, you know, he was making $45 an hour. 
you know? So, I mean, incredible change within three years, you know? And wow. now the guy was so good that he got poached from another company because another guy came in and said, well, that, your guy is so good. So they had to poach him. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, but what can you do? I mean, I can't be upset at an employee, you know, if they, you know, they gave offer twice as much as I'm paying them. You can't be mad at them, you know? Uh, yeah. You know? yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I just brought on a guy, uh, Logan, who's a friend of mine, who's going to be coming on as kind of my chief investment officer to handle a lot of the investor correspondence and, you know, P&L review, bank regs, monthly reports, uh, bank you know, underwriting, the banking relationships, all that kind of stuff. Because, because I've just got too much on my plate. And he's he's very he's CFA. He's, he was competent and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, he's not inexpensive. But I mean, that's all. I'm I'm not just wasting money on you. And he knows it. I'm investing money in you and investing money in the business by bringing on people high quality. And then I used to oversee a bunch of people when I was county assessor here in Jackson County. And we, I remember putting this on the wall because the Jackson County, they didn't, we didn't pay that much. We just, we did, we couldn't, right. I, and I had, I had some restraints and handcuffs as to how I could compensate people because it was kind of quasi union. So I couldn't just give somebody a $10,000 raise. And you go, well, you got to go to the merit pool, merit commission, you get 2%. Like everybody else, like that was pretty demoralizing. So Richard Branson had this quote that I, that I stole and put on the wall that said, Train people well enough so that they can leave, but treat them well enough so that they won't. <laughs> and and what I had to do, I had to re reorganize the entire department, and I had to go to, back to the legislature and the county executive and get permission for that. And and I eliminated a bunch of low dollar positions to get some more higher dollar positions, more research analysts, skilled financial people. And I would and I you know I dropped from I don't know seventy five employees to sixty eight, but I had I had more budget capacity to go reward people and I could take some of the stars in my residential appraisal department, my, my um, systems admin department, my data analysis guys, my commercial appraisers, and I could give them these, these new positions that I made up and I could take them from 35,000 to 50,000. And that was life changing for them. But for me, I could get, get great people to stay, which was always the challenge in government. Yeah. You, you know, and there are the two challenges in government. One is changing the culture from a culture of mediocrity to a culture of exceptionalism. And then the second was, when you find people that are exceptional, having the resources to keep them on the team. So I was, I tried to change those and I was there for five years and we did a lot of good things, but it was, it was not nearly as easy as it is now in the private sector. Be like, okay, you, you, you need, you need a six figure job. Okay. You deserve a six figure job and here's why, and here's what you're going to do as you know, I didn't have that, that latitude in government. So I definitely can empathize, um, with you on some of your, you know, your struggles and some of your tactics on the, the management side, but that's, that's great that you're able to, to do all that. So uh, what other tips, I know I got, wanted to, I don't take too much of your time. What other tips or tactics can you share, you know, perhaps from the marketing side, I know you've got expertise in, in that and you've made a you know, nice living on the, on the, you know, in Google and YouTube and other things as a consultant. How can, how can you bring that expertise to our listeners to help them in their MHP operations? So I think when you analyze the business as a whole, right, you'll notice that uh, the industry uh, as a whole, and I mean as a whole, I mean mobile home parks in general, um, they're lagging a decade, uh, in pretty much a decade in terms of online advertisement. I mean, if you look at everything they're doing, you know, people are still doing, you know, the most primitive form of advertisement, you know, which is put a sign outside the mobile home park and hope people call you for rent. You know, this, this works, this works, don't get me wrong, it does work. Uh, for specific reasons. But if you really think about it, you know, you're not really catching as many eyes as you could. Um, and it's also an interesting area because traditional form of advertisement, aka putting a, uh, the sign outside the property, 
putting it on the newspaper, maybe making a radio ad, you know, these things still work. Uh, but you also want the new media because you have you have you want to reach two different sides of the spectrum. You want the new families and you want the old families as well. And I noticed that a lot of models of uh, mobile home parks only focus on one side of the spectrum. You'll have investors take over the, the management from a, from a mom and pop owner, and then they'll forgo the traditional marketing and they'll go only new marketing, only on Facebook, only on Craigslist only on you know these new avenues of uh, finding uh, places to to live in and then they forgo the other traditional market and they're losing customers that way so the first thing i notice is that you want to be a guy that wears all the hats you know you want to put the sign outside but you also want to put an ad on facebook and then for example if you notice uh, the town uh, for example the town that i'm buying a park in indiana right now i notice that by doing my research guys my research is as simple as i go around walk around town and i ask random people random questions so 10, eight out of 10 people that, uh, people that I talked to told me that there's a very popular radio station in town that half the town listens to. So then I said, huh, very interesting. So I contacted a radio station and I found out that you can run ads for very cheap with them. So I said, huh, very interesting that you can reach the entire audience, half the town at least by paying, you know, a little bit of money, you know, but you wouldn't think about this because it wasn't like on the, on the, on the manual, right? It wasn't on an article online. You have to think of outside of the box a little bit, right? But then you also have to understand that, you know, right now we're in this very awkward transition period because 2020 has a bunch of people on new media and a bunch of people on old media. You don't have to think about this as old and new. You have to think about this as one media, you know, put everything in the middle, put everything under the middle hat, use all your marketing efforts. Like, um, don't, you know, learn something from the mom and pop. Don't forgo one side completely. But then the new investors also get a little bit arrogant as well because um, they think, oh, man, I'm not going to put a stupid sign outside. I'm not going to, you know, put a put a flyer. I'm not going to, you know, do these, uh, put put an ad on the newspaper, right? Who's going to reach, right? Uh, you'd be surprised. I mean, when I did my, my test ad for this current park um, that, I'm, that I'm looking at, um, I got the majority of my calls because I put ads everywhere just to test what picked up the most. And it surprised me because I got more hits from the local newspaper, not the Metro newspaper, mind you, the local newspaper rather than on Facebook, which that to me blew my mind. Yes. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't know, if you didn't try specifically each one of these avenues, right? Right. Um, So the point being is that every town is different. You have to come into the town. This is why I recommend that when people invest somewhere, you actually go there. You know, don't just look at it from Google Maps. Don't just look at it from from the Internet and assume you can invest there. You know, yeah, everything looks good on paper, but still go there to get an idea of what everything looks like. For example, when I visited that town, I could tell, you know, kind of the vibe of the town, talk to the people. I can kind of see what wavelength everyone is at. So when I do my marketing or I do my, my advertisement in that town, I can say, this is what should work. This is what, you know, it's, it's, it's tailored towards them. It's not like a one solution that fits all rather. So, I mean, that's something that I found success in. And it's something that I always tell people when, when they tell me, Oh, I can't sell a home or oh, I can't get someone to, you know, interested in renting or oh, I can't get good tenants or things like that. You have to look at what strategy you're using. And if that, you know, also attracts the type of tenant that you want. Makes sense. I mean, yeah, we do that all the time. I mean, we even have, especially on the self-storage stuff. I mean, MHP too, but on the self-storage stuff we've got through with a couple of our parks, um, we put the little, I don't know, tear-off numbers, you know, go put them in grocery stores, go put them in laundromats, oh. you know, and even put those flyers, but obviously flyers in the, in the windows of the home, signage out front, the banners, Facebook, Craigslist, uh, realtor.com puts it on like 20 other sites like Cozy and Trulia and all that kind of stuff. Some of those are starting to charge where they used to always be free. So, 
Um, that's on a case by case basis. But anyway, Facebook page, and we try to do everything we can. Um, I, I don't get it. You know, I, I don't think I've done a newspaper ad in a while, though, to be honest. So um, that's probably the one that I have. We haven't really had any trouble selling houses, to be honest, either. So I what we're doing seems to be working, um, but doesn't hurt to enhance it for sure. So now, those are great tips, Gonzalo. I appreciate it. Where, where can people find you if they want to reach you? Um, or do you want to be completely hidden and you're only, you know, you're only seen on this one <laughs> podcast, but if you, if, you, if you want to give us your contact info, um, please do. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you can find me, uh, I mean, I think the best way to reach me out, I mean, if you either want to work out a deal, you, you want to talk to me about something, you need help with something. I mean, I, I'm the kind of guy that like to interact with anyone in this industry, right? Whether or not we can do business about something or whether or not we can learn something from each other. Uh, maybe I can teach you something. Maybe you can teach me something, right? Simple concept. Um, you can always reach me by email, gonzalobizdev at gmail.com. Now I always have to spell this out. So Gonzalo, G-O-N-Z-A-L-O, biz, B as in boy, I, Z, Z as in Z, and then uh, dev as in development uh, at gmail.com. So, I mean, you can always feel free to reach me out there um, whenever any inquiries you have. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, Gonzalo. Hey, no problem. I really appreciate you for having me here and uh, hope everything goes well with you. Great podcast. And I'll keep listening as well. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.